This is a Broad Pods production. You're listening to the Leaky Pipeline podcast. Welcome to this episode. Construction is much more than bricks and hammers. It's an industry for all people to work in. On this show, we sit down with change makers to discuss the passion, the opportunities, the struggles, and the changes that they're taking to bring more people, especially women, into construction. Lauren here. On today's episode, I'm joined by Emma Scraby, the National Crystal Vision Award winner for 2022. And today you'll hear us talk about the challenge of attracting and keeping people in construction, the diverse roles in construction, the shift and momentum that we're seeing of more women entering trades, and why work experience in a trade is crucial before signing up to an apprenticeship. Welcome, Em. Hello, hello, my friend. How are you? Oh, so good. It's so good to have you on the podcast today. I want you to introduce yourself because you're amazing and I think only you can do yourself justice. <laughs> oh, that, that's very kind. Well, hi, hi everyone. I'm Emma and uh, I was very fortunate to win the National Crystal Vision Award, which I'm still coming to terms with because it doesn't feel real. But uh, for the last seven years, I've, I've spent time as the head of community training and employment on a project called Gin and Dairy in the ACT. It's a joint venture between the ACT government and Riverview Projects, and, and we're building 11,500 homes there in a, in a cross-border border project. But as of the 31st of January, I've uh, relocated back to my hometown of Adelaide and uh, done something a bit mad and started my own company called The Umbrella Collective. So I'm 15 days in and I could need a full-time job at the end of the year, I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, you only live once. So uh, so that's me and, and, and that's what I'm up to at the moment. Uh, I know The Umbrella Collective is just going to be amazing because you're running it and everything you touch turns to gold, Em. And <laughs> there's always times where that doesn't work. So we'll see how we go. <laughs> it's going to be great. And so because you're in a really unique situation uh, when when you did work with Gin and Dairy, how easy do you think it is for women to get into construction? It's it's really interesting. I, I think from, from my experience, um, I, I started working in construction in 2008 and not in a traditional construction role. Uh, you know, my role is more around workforce development, participation, um, social inclusion and diversity on, on major infrastructure projects. So it's a little bit different, but I really think it depends on what kind of role you want. Um, you know, I know that, you know, we're we're very defined in construction by white collar and blue collar. And I think, you know, white collar roles in construction could be anything from engineers to lawyers to architects. And I think, um, you know, on the blue collar side, you've got your traditional trades and and some of your other roles that are not recognised trades, but are more physical and hands-on. So I think, you know, for me and, and watching the industry over the last 15 years, um, depending on what role you want, depends on how easy it is to, to get in there. But I know... Um, you know, I've seen a real change in the sector around information and uh, the sharing of uh, career pathways in the construction industry. Uh, mind you, I think we still have a long way to go to really um, articulating um, how many wonderful career pathways they are, like what's a draftsperson, what's a contracts administrator. Everyone knows what a carpenter is or a plumber. So, you know, I think 
For me, it really depends on what the role is. And it also depends on your support network. If you've got a careers counsellors and parents and your peers, if you're a young person or a migrant or a mum coming back to work, you know, you, you might have people around you that are connected to the construction industry, or, or you might not have people that are connected to the construction industry. So I think, I really think it depends on the role. And I think networks are really important. You know, I've seen so many young girls in the work that I do just looking for someone to guide them and someone support them um, because they don't don't have that connection. And so, you know, you've been in the construction industry or, or around the construction industry for 15 years. So what is one of the biggest items that you've noticed that has changed in construction since you started? I, I really have seen more women on sites, you know, and I know that st- statistically the stats seem to be going backwards, you know, since 2006. But I, when I was in South Australia working for Renewal SA, I did not see a lot of women on civil construction sites. I did not see a lot of women in traffic management. I did not see a lot of women on resi sites building homes. Do I see them now? Yeah, I do. Do I see uh, many of them? No. But I see more than I did before. And I'm not sure whether that's, I mean, that could be due to a range of different factors. You know, uh, we have got a skill shortage. So employers are having to look at diversifying into cohorts that they may not have recruited before. Um, but I would hope to think the amount of work that people like Nawik are doing and the master builders and the Housing Industry Association and the Civil Contractors Federation and Tradeswomen Australia and, you know, all of those peak bodies, I would hope that the work that we are doing is making it more visible for other women to see women on site. So I've, I've really noticed that. The last four or five years, I've really noticed a focus on momentum. You know, to be honest with you, I get a bit sick of talking about it sometimes because there's a lot of people that talk about it um, and probably only some of those are actually doing something about it. Um, but I've seen, you know, from a, from a federal government perspective, you know, a gender lens on budgets and how that affects women. I've seen um, lots of different organisations being created around women in trades and women in construction. And that was not there, you know, four or five years ago. Like there's a bit of momentum around that. I think the other really awesome thing for me is that um, different jurisdictions are taking it seriously and they're taking it seriously in the form of legislation and they're taking it seriously in in the form of policy. You know, I know that uh, Victoria, New South Wales, um, ACT is in the process of it and some of the other states and territories across Australia are putting gender on the tender. I know at Narwick we have a target of 25% of women in construction by 2025. If we want gender parity in construction and we're sitting at 17 or 13 or 15%, depending on who you talk to, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's a lot of women and gender diverse people that we have to train up to get into the construction industry. So it's very heartening for me to see policies being created with targets. That brings its own interesting journey because if you're going to mandate things in targets, you've got to have the pipeline. So what's the pipeline happening on the ground and what are those initiatives and how are they being funded and are they all working together? Are they working in silos? I could talk about this for hours, but you know, th- those are some of the really interesting things oh, for yeah. me. If you ask me, what have I seen change in the last four or five years? Um, you know, those are those are some of the key things that, that I've really noticed. We'll touch on the leaky pipeline uh, that now it has has kind of envisaged oh. and put together um, a little bit later on. But when you're talking about 
these items, it's really interesting because um, a lot of the times we are seeing more women. There is definitely more, more women everywhere, but the, the statistics aren't really adding up. So we're seeing, and that's where the leaky pipeline came from, because we are seeing yep. a lot of women coming into the industry and then leaving the industry. Yep. And so there's, there's a lot of barriers for women and there's a lot of misconceptions for women into entering the industry. I want to kind of try to bust, bust some of those myths around what are the misconceptions versus the barriers. Can you talk to me about some of those myths that you potentially see um, as being misconceptions rather than the barriers as such? Yeah, I think, look, I, I'm, I'm not a tradie. I'm not an engineer, so you know I don't want to speak for for those wonderful cohorts of women because I don't I don't have that background. But you know I've really noticed a misconception is you know having being strong and having physical strength is is essential to for a woman to work in the construction industry. For some roles, it might still be because the technology or the, or the machinery or the equipment isn't there, but for a lot of roles, it's not. Um, you know, technology's come a really long way and there's machines for lifting because you know what? Just because men may be a little bit physically stronger, they shouldn't have to be lifting those things either when, no, it's, when, it, when it's damaging to their well-being and their physicality. So, you know, I think um, I used to hear a lot, oh, women aren't strong enough to carry roof trusses up on homes or women aren't strong enough to, you know, lift big concrete culverts or whatever you want to do. But you don't have to do that anymore. You know, we have WH&S for a reason. It's to keep everyone safe on site and to physically keep people safe. And that includes men and women. So a lot of people in the early days say, oh, women aren't strong enough to work on construction sites. I'm like, they don't need to be. Yeah. (laughs) That's a really interesting misconception. I think the other misconception for me, it's not really a misconception, but it depends on the the organisation or the company you're working with that construction's not welcoming to women. That's not true. Construction is extremely welcoming to men and women, and often men are the champions of that welcoming women into the construction. Women and men cannot be champions of welcoming, you know, women into construction. That's a real, quite a large misconception. I've run training programs in in South Australia in the ACT where, you know, we've placed um, female tradies out onto into apprenticeships onto resi resi construction sites, and those men on those sites protect them like you would not believe. But there's instances that that doesn't happen either. So, you know, I think for me, there's some of the big the big misconceptions. Yeah, right. Versus barriers. Oh goodness me, where do I start on the on the barriers? I think one of the big things I see with a lot of young people I work with um, that are women that want to go into construction is the lack of awareness of what the pathways are. Um, we run a women in uh, civil construction program, yeah. which is a, a program around creating awareness, showing people what the civil industry is about. Because a lot of people still come to our information sessions thinking they're going to be a carpenter, or like, no, no, that's not civil. But I, but I think having awareness of what pathways are, and being having the ability to try what you think you might like, um, I think that's. Um, that's a barrier. And I think it's a barrier with apprenticeships as well. You have a lot of young people coming out of school and going, I want to be a carpenter. And I say, have you been on a construction site in Canberra at six o'clock in the morning? Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people don't actually get to experience the different roles in construction before they choose a pathway. And I think some of the things that, you know, NAWIC ACT has done around the National Careers Institute program and building that awareness and capabilities is is really, really important. Um, 
I think um, being the primary caregiver to children and the um, early starts in construction um, is also, from my experience, uh, quite a large barrier. I do a lot of work with women returning back to work after uh, raising children. And and can I say it's not just women. Yeah, it's also men. men, It's men as well. Men are primary caregivers to children as well, you know, and with early starts at 6 or 5.30 or 6 or 6.30, you know, childcare centres or early learning centres do not open that early. And if you don't have family support and you're, you know, a single dad or a single mum or both parents are working, you, you can't choose a career in construction because you don't actually have the support systems in place for your family. And I think for, for a lot of women that I see coming through the different in- initiatives that we run, you know, we say you've got to start at 6.30 in the morning. I can't do it. I don't have family support here. The early learning or childcare centre doesn't open that early. I can't even do it. So before they even actually try. Yeah, that, that's a barrier. That's a real, real massive barrier. Huge barrier. And I think the the other... The other massive barrier um, for me is confidence and, and belief um, because being a male, it's not, it's not um, only in construction, but, you know, ha- giving women the confidence to say, you can do this. Why don't you try it? And we're going to wrap a whole lot of support around you and mentors and we'll be there to pick you up when you fall. So I don't know if I've kind of gone off track there, but for me, there's a whole lot of other barriers as well. You know, I know that in the RMIT report that was done a couple of years ago, I know that there was, you know, it's really interesting. There are a lot of women and young girls going into the vet sector uh, in construction, um, but it's not necessarily translating to people sticking around in that sector. And I think one of the other barriers we're jumping all over the place, but it, the, the pipeline is hard, right? And I think for the last three, four years, there's been a big campaign, I feel, and a big focus on attracting women to the construction industry, <laughs> promoting this, this, the, the industry, saying how wonderful it is, doing training, whether it's pre-employment programs or apprenticeships. But I don't think we've really thought about what happens when they get there. Mm, who's there to support them? On their journey. Who's there to support them on their journey? And when it gets rough, where do they go? And I know Narwick plays a little bit in that space. I know that Build Like a Girl with Joe, you know, in the ACT and Tradeswomen Australia and MBA and HIA and CCF, and I'm probably forgetting other industry associations, so I apologise. Um, but I think that's a really important piece that maybe hasn't had as much focus as it should have because... If you, if you don't look at the whole pipeline and you don't look at it as a whole journey, it's a very piecemeal approach. So, you know, if we're building the volume of young people and women coming into the construction sector and then they get there and they don't like it, how are we supporting them to keep them there? So I think that's another, another real barrier as well. Yeah, it is a challenge because it's the retaining and then growing the women that are in construction. And one of the barriers I also see for young women and even senior women in construction is where can they lead? Where does their pathway lead? So if they came into the role as a tradie, can they see past that? What what happens, you know, if they don't want to be on the tools anymore, do they have to leave construction? I feel like there's not enough education in that space for these young women and men to see where construction oh. can actually take them. Yeah, and I think I think some companies do that really well. And and the other, I was 
I don't know where I was the other day. Who was I talking to? I went to a Cornet event, which is commercial real estate. I went to my first event in Adelaide last week and it was amazing. I'll give them a plug. Uh, That was so cool. But they were talking about not every person wants to be promoted. That's right. Some people are happy in their job. Some people are happy on the tools and that is okay. And some people want career progression. And it's, it's such a massive web. It's such a massive web. Um, there's so many different elements of it. And I, I feel like there's not really a national strategy. There's not really at the moment, and I could be wrong, um, but I, I haven't seen it. You know, I know we've had the white paper around employment and things like that, but I just, my brain just keeps going to, if, if we are facing a massive labour shortage in the construction industry, we have to look at diversifying outside of the traditional cohorts that I've recruited, which has been men. So if we are going to do that, what's the strategy and what's the approach? Is it a, a state or a territory approach, state by state, territory by territory, or is it a federal approach? Because this is the big piece of work, you know, and we talk about gender parity and do you know how many people we would have to train, how many people we would have to attract how many people we would have to get through apprenticeships, how many people we would have to keep in the sector. It's, it blows my mind sometimes, you know, when you think about it. But you have to have that overarching look at it. And sometimes you just have to start. And I think that's what, um, you know, with, with NARWIC support, national support. It's huge. I think, you know, the different jurisdictions of NARWIC across Australia and the chapters, you know, people are starting and they're just trying to start and get momentum. And it might not be perfect, but we got to we got to start. But I think there needs to be that that national lens and that and that national focus with maybe pulling a whole lot of people together to look at how we can do it on mass volume. Because in ACT where I was, we have four hundred and fifty odd thousand people. You know, so that's still a lot of people you've got to train to get gender parity in construction. But if you look at it nationally, it's oh my gosh, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's a big ask. So it was really interesting because you mentioned um, one of the misconceptions that you have seen is around the support that that our male allies are actually giving yeah. women on site. Um, and I love that you've seen that um, because that gives a lot of people hope as well because the, the construction industry has this bad reputation. It uh-huh. has a poor reputation about how women are treated um, in construction, not only women, I mean, we can talk about the the suicide rate in construction. It's one person every two days claims their own life in construction alone. So this is a huge issue that we have in construction. It's not only a woman's problem, it's the industry's problem because this is affecting lives of everybody. Yeah, definitely. So why do you think people's perception of the industry is so poor? Why do you think construction gets a bad rap? And, and I know, uh, especially in your line of work, it's getting parents to understand that it's not so bad or if it is bad, how can we fix that? What's the support? So why do people see it as such a poor industry to work in? It's a really it's a really good question because I think it's an amazing industry to work in. But everyone's gonna have their own experience, right? And everyone's gonna be have their have their own opinions. Um look, you know, if you look at the media, media covering, you know, construction sites. Construction is a high risk occupation. You're working at heights, you're working around tools and equipment. And, you know, there are incidents on site that happen. Um, you know, if you're working in an office administration environment or you're working in an early childhood education and care centre, 
there's still risk of injury, but the risk is is relatively low. And, you know, I know WorkSafe ACT and all the WorkSafe organisations across, you know, Australia and the unions are doing, you know, amazing stuff around and safety and licensing and ticketing. Um, I know that in the ACT they're bringing you mandated silica silica exposure awareness training, I think it is, uh, because of silica dust. So there is a misconception that it's, it is high risk and it's, there's a lot of things that, that can go wrong. And I think if you're a parent and you don't have uh, a broader understanding of the amount of training that construction organisations do and the amount of policies and compliance and procedures and there's a whole lot of things in place to kind of try and mitigate that risk. But I know that when I've gone to talk to schools and, and parents are like, oh, I'm not letting my daughter in the construction industry. It's, it's not safe. So it's not necessarily, that's one of the first things that they say, it's not safe. And I say, what do you mean not safe? And they're like, oh, you know, they're working at height. So not safe from a culture perspective, not so much. But the first thing that I usually get asked is, you know, oh, it's quite high risk and what are the safety things? And Because it would be easier for a young person to choose teaching, maybe, well, given schools and things like that, you don't know. But I think that's one of the interesting discussion points. Yeah. From a culture perspective, the culture is changing. Is it changing as quick as everyone needs it to? No, it's not because change takes <laughs> a long time <laughs> and it's kind of a generational change. With each generation that goes through change, change occurs. And I know when I was doing some work with one of our programs with some young people, some of the young men and women in that class were like, we don't care. This is normal. There should be women and men on sites. But it depends on what generation you're kind of, you know, you're kind of talking to. I think there is still a, a big piece of work to be done around culture in construction sectors. And I know that there are some wonderful construction companies out there doing wonderful things. Um, so you've got to be really careful when you blanket the industry with one brush because that's that's not the case. I also think that some companies who are not quite sure what to do need help. And who do they go to for, for that help? Who do they speak to about training their staff? Who do they talk to about improving their culture? And if you're a small to medium enterprise, sometimes you don't necessarily have capacity to do those things. So I've noticed a lot of companies that I work with going, we want more women in our sector. How do we do it? And I'm like, well, first thing is, can they start at 7.30 instead of 6.30? And they're like, why? And I'm like, because if they don't have support and they've got kids, how, how are they going to how are they going to how are they going to get their kids to school and and come and start? So I think there's there's very easy things that can be done to encourage more women and more men into the sector, but it's whether organisations want to take that leap of faith, I guess, to look at those things yeah. is up to them. And I guess for me, I think part of that is so these challenges that people are seeing of construction, you know, is it safe? And that's a number of different things. Like, is my daughter going to be physically safe, as in from any predators? I say predators, I shouldn't use that word. But anybody that's going to make her feel unsafe is one problem, and that's a culture problem. The other is generally, are they going to be safe on site? Like, physical safety. Physical safety, yeah. And so do you think that this, these challenges that we have in construction apply to other industries or is it just in construction? So should yeah. parents, when they're worried about their girls or or even their sons going into construction, is it is it just construction they should be worried about? Well, I don't think so. I mean, if you look at some of the other high-risk sectors, you know, mining, mining, 
you're underground, you're driving big machinery, equipment around. I Personally, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think there's risk with whatever sector you go into, but there's more risk depending on what sector it is. But I know that's the feedback that I get from, from a lot of parents, um, a lot of careers counsellors, uh, a lot of, um, you know, student, not so much the young people because, you know, they're quite open to trying things. But um, if you are looking at making a difference with the people who influence um, those people, those young people's decisions, you know, safety, safety is something that does pop up quite a lot. One thing I want to talk to you about, because you are very passionate about this retention piece as well, what advice would you give to to employees, especially the small and medium enterprises that don't really have, you know, there's no HR in some of some of these places. They don't really understand how to get women. I get asked all the time, how do I get more women in my work site? So what are the key things when they're trying to recruit? What would you say they need to do to recruit more women and then keep them? Oh God, there's so many things. All right. So if I was approached by a company say, how do I get more women into my company? One of the first things that I would say is, well, where do you look for them? Because given the labour market and the skills shortage, you can't just keep trying the traditional ways of of recruitment because you're not going to find them. So, you know, some people poach people from other organisations or some people will get skilled migrants in, you know, to, to, to fill roles. But, I mean, if you're a small, small to medium enterprise and you want to recruit a woman, you go to a labour hire company, you go to a group training organisation or you go to your peak industry association body to get the support. If you're not a big tier one or tier, you know, tier two company, there is a whole untapped market of young women and women in general, women who have been mums and had careers before they had children and they want to come back into the workforce. Where do you find them? They were doing other roles that weren't in construction. So, you know, how, how do you kind of promote construction to them and how do you look at um, giving, giving those women an opportunity? I think with the, the younger cohorts, especially young, young girls who are at school, all the industry sectors want to get into the schools. We need to get into the schools. We need to get in the schools. We need to get more young people uh, into our sectors. And it's not just construction, it's mining, it's early childhood education and care, it's community services. And that's a really interesting piece. And I think the industry associations have a real role to play uh, in supporting their members and their employers in that space. And I know that uh, purely from a... um, uh, an ACT perspective, I can talk about my experience of, of what happened in the ACT, but we were very concerned in the ACT from my role with Narwick and a few other people that we didn't have a pipeline of, of women coming through the sector. So we had to look at building a pipeline and finding funding of how to build that pipeline and targeting a pipeline at year 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then women 17 and over so that there were different initiatives for different ways to recruit those different cohorts of women in the, those different age groups to see if it would it would make a difference in the sector. Um, and the industry associations had a big role, you know, to, to, to play in that, you know, Narwick and, and the MBA and the Civil Contractors Federation. So I think there's a role for industry associations to play in supporting their sectors around developing this kind of stuff. I really want to touch on the Nowick ACT school program that we ran with the Office for Women. I think it will be really important for people to hear what that program was because it was a huge success. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and just what it did for ACT in general? So in, in the ACT, we had 110 young women 
uh, do a work experience placement who are in year nine and ten with a, a NARWIC member in the ACT. And what that did is it gave a connection point between industry and a connection point between young women. Some of those young women are now going into school-based apprenticeships with those employers. Um, so it's a very simple thing, providing a work experience opportunity, providing exposure, providing awareness, and the ability for industry and people looking for work in the sector to connect. I think that's a really interesting way to do it. There was a couple of moving parts that was creating a bit of a perfect storm because when you want to do new things, it's about timing and about about momentum. And I think the ACT government is such a forward-thinking government and they had started the discussion around um, in the ACT Women's Action Plan, which is a strategic live document that outlines a whole range of things for women uh, in different different areas um, over a certain duration of time to be delivered and measured. And I think it really started there with um, Minister Berry, who's the Minister uh, for Women in the ACT and the Deputy Chief Minister, um, putting a target in the ACT Women's Action Plan around women in non-traditional trades. And for us, I think there was a, quite a few of us in the ACT that went, we've got an opportunity to do something here. We've got an opportunity to look at what those targets are and we've got an opportunity to build some momentum. And one of the key things that we were aware of is that often when young people decide they want to do an apprenticeship, so we talk about blue collar, they want to do a traditional trade, they don't try it before they do it and they go out and after three or four months they hate it and they're not retained, which kind of represents the apprentice retention targets, you know, across Australia. So we were like, hmm, okay, what if we could develop a curriculum-based model? Because when you're working with uh, an education department in a, a jurisdiction, it, it was the advice that we got was how, we, how could we develop something that would be curriculum-based and would go towards... I'm not an expert in teaching, but the points or whatever they get for curriculum. So there was a group of us. There was a NARWIC ACT, the ACT Office for Women, and a couple of people from the ACT Education Directorate that said, I reckon we could design some curriculum targeted at years seven and eights, nines and tens, leading into opportunities with school-based apprenticeships. But to do that, we needed to find some funding Office for Women uh, and NARWIC and Education Directorate partnered on a National Careers Institute uh, National Careers Institute grant, and we were successful at, at achieving that grant, which we were so stoked about. It was amazing, and that grant was to develop resources in curriculum. It was to target Year Seven and Eight boys and girls around talking about career pathways in the construction industry. Don't ask me what subject it went into, but it went into one of the subjects. And then, so that was year seven and eight, boys and girls talking about gender equality, talking about construction, talking about careers. And then the second part of that was focusing on girls in year nine and 10 and talking about careers in construction. It was linked to curriculum and we were able to train up certain teachers in pilot schools to deliver that curriculum. And it was a term-based model, one day a week over a nine or 10 week term, however many weeks are in a term. And it focused on all of those things about what is construction? Do you know the difference between white collar and blue collar? If you do, here are the hundreds of roles in white collar. Here are the hundreds of roles in blue collar. A bit of self-assessment, a bit of some site tours, some guest speakers, white card, asbestos awareness, PPE, a try a trade date at the public provider, CIT, where they got their hands dirty. 
And it kind of finished at the end of that with, and this is a really important part, um, it finished with a five-day unpaid work experience placement with a NARWIC ACT member. So there was a lot of work that was happening behind the scenes around the school component with curriculum, but there was also a piece that NARWIC did around industry engagement and going out to its membership base to say, hey, we've got this opportunity. Uh, Would you be keen to get involved and provide a young woman in the ACT with a five-day unpaid work experience placement within your organisation? And we had all of our members jump on board. And I was so, I got a little bit teary, to be honest with you, because I was like, because you know when you do this new stuff and you think, I don't even know if it's going to work. He's going to do this. (laughs) But, you know, it it didn't. And the feedback was amazing. Some kids absolutely hated it. Uh, sorry, I should say young people, not kids. Others absolutely loved it. Others said, you know what? I actually think I want to try this as well. So we were able to source a placement for them in another area that they wanted to try. And for me, I went to the graduation in January or February this year, and I saw all of these young girls finish the program and get their certificates. And I was like, this is amazing like to have this volume of young women in a, in the education system actually see what construction looks like in year 9 and 10 not in year 12 was really really powerful and the impact that that has had on those young girls around their career choices and their decision making and their parents idea about construction and now where they want to go it's changed their trajectory and that's by doing a very simple piece of work. The the big award at the ACT Education Directorate Award Ceremonies this year with the best new initiative uh, in the in the ACT education system. So, you know, for us that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. But I think often people underestimate the impact of what work experience can provide. And I know there's a whole lot of rules and regulations around unpaid work experience and, and you know, not taking um, people, advantage of people. And I totally get that. But providing someone with a five-day unpaid placement within an organisation to give them opposite see, smell, taste, feel, what a career in that job role could look like, I think you can't underestimate that impact. And I think that's what we've we've seen. You know what? Time will tell how many of those young girls in year 10 then go into a school-based apprenticeship in year 11 and 12 and how many of them finish a school-based apprenticeship in year 11 and 12 and then go on to get into their second year apprenticeship or go on to university to do engineering or building and construction management. And I think for me, if there was a magic wand that we could wave and we could get, you know, a whole lot of industry to put money in to sponsor something like this over a 10-year period, I think the data that you could track on this would be amazing. <laughs> oh, 100%. We've got to do something, something different. And it's, it is a fantastic program. It's something that we need to roll out nationally because it's education, right? So education is the key and that is how we'll change people's perception around the construction industry and also the education piece to understand what construction is. What does that look like? What roles can I get into? So it's a huge push for the pipeline. People understanding what construction is is a huge, huge push. So, Em, I've loved speaking to you today. You're just amazing and your enthusiasm for women in construction is is awesome and young students and getting them into construction and feeling safe. So I have one final question. 
What is your pledge or your commitment for the next year in relation to women in construction? Oh, what's my pledge? Well, I've changed states. So I'm kind of in the ACT a little bit, um, but I'm now a lot more back in Adelaide. (laughs) I'll do two pledges. So my pledge in the ACT is to keep building the momentum around women's participation in construction in the ACT uh, with ACT government and with um, a range of different stakeholders because it's really important to me that we've delivered some great initiatives, but I don't want them to stop. We've got to keep. We've got to keep going. So I think my pledge in in Adelaide. I've just joined Narwick SA in Adelaide. I haven't been to a face to face meeting yet. Um, so I've I've had a couple of meetings online, but I'm really looking forward to um, to getting involved and and helping as much as I can uh, here in Adelaide with Narwick. But <laughs> I think my pledge in in Adelaide is we have a lot of major infrastructure projects coming up. The subs were announced. It's the biggest single investment by the the federal government in in um, defence in Australia's history. Uh, we have a massive tunnel being built, a thirteen year I think it's thirteen year project. We have a new women's and children's hospital. Um, there's a whole push for hydrogen up in the regions of South Australia, but there's no talk around women in construction on those projects, and I find that really interesting. So I'm really keen to see if I can help. I don't know if I can, but my pledge is to to keep talking about women in construction and participation requirements in large infrastructure projects in Adelaide around around women in construction. I think that's probably my two realistic pledges. Amazing. Oh, thanks so much, Em. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been amazing having you on our podcast. And congratulations again for winning the Narwick 2022 National Crystal Vision Award. That was Emma Scraby. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, guys. I can't wait to hear the other podcasts. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leaky Pipeline. Let us know your thoughts about this episode or leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to share us with your friends. And to find out more about Narwick, head to our website at narwick.com.au. Thank you.